Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors and brought to you by the generous support of the Tennessee Valley Authority. To learn more about TVA's impact on our community, follow TVA on Instagram at TVA and on Twitter X at TVA News. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week defines the phrase, he needs no introduction. Bob Corker has been a successful businessman, a state commissioner of finance, mayor of Chattanooga, and a United States senator. His career has been built on the back of hard work, focus, and determination. Bob, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we delve into your brief career as an outfielder for the University of Tennessee baseball team, let me ask, what is in your morning cup? Uh, what's in my morning cup? Now, what does that mean even? It's great to be with you, by the way. Well, thank you. That's a trick question, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Vance Travis. Vance told me his was a Bloody Mary. So. <laughs> Just black coffee, and it's very good. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you're here. And I, I wanted to talk to you about not so much your political career, but really how you got started. I know you moved to Chattanooga when you were 11 from South Carolina, right? That is correct. And what brought your family here? My dad was a maintenance engineer at DuPont, down at the Savannah River plant, which was just outside of Aiken, South Carolina. We were transferred here the summer before the seventh grade. So I guess I was 11 or so, and this became my hometown. So Was that a hard move for you at 11? Because a lot of times you think as kids get towards teenagers, it's difficult to pull them up out from their friends and move them to a new place. Yeah, well, you know what made it easier? Uh, baseball season in ah. Aiken, South Carolina had ended, believe it or not, uh, before we moved. And then when we came here, it was just starting. So I was able to move right into playing baseball again for Dixie Youth Team on Signal Mountain. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was really pretty easy. I don't know how, but this became home quickly. We had on earlier this year, uh, Gail Loveland, and she talked about how much she moved around and how when, particularly as an adult, she looked for sports things she could join because yeah. you got an instant group of friends. So all of a sudden right. your teammates are all your friends. Absolutely. What position did you play? Well, I played uh, second base in those days. However, I wanted to pitch and my dad had been the coach of the team in Aiken and therefore never would let me do so, <laughs> showing, uh, if you will, um, I'm not going to show favoritism, favoritism. So, my son. So anyway, I was able to, uh, I pitched when I got here and, and, uh, and also played second base and, you know, I had a great run, so. One of the things we talk about on this podcast is what established your work ethic. And I know uh, you started working at a young age, like a lot of kids do. Yeah, sure. You know, of in the neighborhood. What were your first jobs? Well, actually, that uh, summer introduced me to uh, this playground that needed the trash picked up and needed the ball fields lined off and all of that. So that was my real first job that had a paycheck with FICA deductions and all of that. And so I, I probably didn't do that until I was 12 years old, but did that for a while. And then I worked down at Western Auto on Broad Street, putting bicycles together and that kind of thing. I worked at Hills Florist over on 6th Street, working back in the back and then delivering flowers. And then I worked at Tennessee Valley Ice over on uh, South Creek Road off Amnicola Highway. And I, I loved it. You bagged ice all day and in about 27 degrees weather. And then I, of course, played baseball, you know, when I got off in the evenings. 
But eventually I became a construction laborer. Yeah. And uh, that was probably when I was about uh, 16-ish, 17-ish. And that's what led me to the career that, that I ended up pursuing. And, and I loved working as a construction laborer. I just loved it. What drove your uh, desire to work? Were your parents insisting you worked or was that just something you wanted to no, I, have I, your own money? Yeah, just I'm so fortunate. I just like doing it. And my parents did not force me to do it in any way, but um, I just loved working. And especially, you know, I found my true passion working. I was out at Northgate uh, as a hod carrier. Uh, What's working. a hod carrier? That's a person who helps masons. Uh, you know, you're building scaffold, mixing mortar, you're carrying stock in the scaffolding with blocks. And then I also uh, did some roof decking. So that summer where you're pouring, and I did that for several years. Eventually, I worked as a rough carpenter on the bridges that come over from uh, Amnicola Highway into town. If you know, there's a big water tank there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really, really, really love that. So uh, anyway, I did a lot of different jobs and it just, uh, it was physical. You know, I've always been fortunate to be in decent shape and mm -hmm. I, ju I just loved it. Was it the love of being outside or the actual building of things that got you going? Well, it was, uh, it was all of it. I mean, I just love the production piece of it. You know, eventually I went to the University of Tennessee, went to City High School here mm -hmm. and and uh, played sports, football and, and baseball there and just loved City High School. It was, uh, I think we had about 1,580 students in three grades, people from all over the community. Our home stadium in baseball was Ingle Stadium, which was fantastic. Oh, yeah. We didn't have anything on campus. And that was our, your home field? That was our home field, and our home field in football, where we played a lot of our games, was the old Kirkman High School field, since we didn't have our own field, which was up on the hill where Blue Cross is today. And But anyway, it was just a great, great experience. Ended up going to UT, and as you mentioned earlier, played baseball a couple of years there, and and actually played a lot, yeah. uh, but I knew I wasn't going to be a professional baseball player. That just wasn't in the cards. Were you second base there? No, I ended up breaking my hand in, in high school and, and shifted out to center field, and that's I played outfield at UT. And again, as I mentioned, uh, after two years of college, you know, I'd been in a fraternity, I was playing baseball, um, you know, I figured out it was kind of time to focus on yeah. getting out and making good grades and focusing on my career. And after two years, I realized what I wanted to do was to go in the construction business and was majoring in industrial management, which was uh, a mix between business and engineering, if you will, and thought about changing majors to move into something more construction oriented. Got some great advice from people in that business here saying, look, Corker, just just graduate, okay? Get out, <laughs> get out graduate going. on time, get out, I did, and, and go to work, and that's where you'll learn the construction business. Who are some of the mentors you had in Chattanooga that really influenced what you wanted to do? You know, I haven't been great as it relates to mentors. Mm -hmm. And I know that the younger generation today does such a better job of being, number one, told to reach out to people and seek advice and try not to go down some paths that might be not helpful. And I just didn't really do that much. There was a gentleman in the masonry business here in town that, that uh, was the one who said, hey, Corker, just graduate, okay? You don't need to worry about what you're majoring in. 
And then later on, there was a, a gentleman named Ed Jolly in the, in the general contracting business, had a company called EMJ Corporation. Mm-hmm. I ultimately, when I graduated, I had two offers from really large companies down in, in Alabama, uh, Blunt Construction and Harbor Construction. And I got an offer at EMJ. It was called Independent Construction at the time. And uh, I was told by somebody, I forgot who the person was. He said, Corker, whatever you do, don't go to work with some big company where you're going to be a slot, you know, number. Go to work for a company that's professional enough that you can uh, really learn good habits, learn how to build, build, whatever you're doing, do it well, but also small enough so that you can learn the whole business. And so I ended up coming back to Chattanooga instead of working for those other companies. Um, I started out working in the office. I had a coat and tie kind of job. I, you know, flew around on private planes to job sites and I knew absolutely nothing. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, I filled out reports. I mean, it was, I, I just, I, and so I don't say this to brag. I just loved it. I was the first guy in the office, the last person to leave. And every week I bugged, just wore them out asking if I could go out into the field mm-hmm. to work on a job site, to actually learn how to build a building. And finally, after 90 days, they let me go to Spartanburg, South Carolina. And uh, I went over there as a project engineer uh, working on the job site, uh, you know, I was supposed to keep up with concrete tickets and payroll and all of that. And I did that at night. And during the day, I was out there laying out footings, uh, tying rebar, climbing steel. And by the time the job finished, I was the superintendent, the head person on the job. Were you doing that so you could learn the trade sure. charter? I mean, you know, yeah. paperwork, I could do anything, <laughs> yeah. right? So uh, after that, I went down to Sarasota, Florida. Went down there for six months while we were just really estimating the job. And it was a 95-acre site building a regional mall. And after six months of being there, the superintendent needed to go someplace else. I became the superintendent of what was then the biggest project in Sarasota, Florida, at 23 years old. And I just, you can't imagine how much I loved it. I was there 17 months, ended up going to Columbia, South Carolina, went to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then after four years there, I had saved $8,000 and um, I went in business. And I'll forever be indebted to Mr. Jolly who and everybody there at EMJ for just the, I tell graduates of college, you know, that one of the first things you do when your parents, your parents want you to launch well. Yeah. And I used to give in my former role talks at colleges, you know, at commencement and that kind of thing. And I said several things. But one of the things was if you master something that matters, you're immediately independent in life. And I learned how to build a building. So, you know, give me a a roll of drawings, if you will. I know I'm sounding a roll of drawings and a telephone and and I could build a building. And so but going back to the mentor thing. I spent about four days with this coal miner that had built a coal mining business. He was the father of a friend of mine, and he had sold it for a good deal of money. And this was uh, after my sophomore year of college or during my sophomore year at the very end. The impact he had on me is immeasurable. I think being around him, seeing his incredible generosity and kindness, I just... 
knew that I wanted to have my own company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that I wanted to have the kind of impact that he had had in his community, um, just helping, you know, helping people. And so it was really at the end of my sophomore year that I knew I wanted to go in business. And again, the, the advice that others had given about going to work with a company where you can learn everything about the business, you know, the accounting, the estimating, the actual building of a building, allowed me at 25 uh, with $8,000 to go in business. And right down the road from where we are right now, here we are on Cherokee Boulevard, there was a little co-op uh, office suite kind of thing, uh, just not far from here at all, where I, I office for $125 and had secretarial help and went in business. And I just loved, loved, loved every second of it. So in your early 20s, you get out of school and you're really just focused 100% on work and you save money and you start a business. Did you ever do what a typical 20-year-old does at that time? Or were you so focused? Well, I was very focused, but look, I had a great time. I mean, think about uh, being 23 years old and living in Sarasota, Florida. Yeah. There had been a, almost a depression down there real estate-wise. And so I leased a condominium in a great area on Siesta Key. I mean, I, I was single. Yeah. And I mean, so here, <laughs> I, mean I, I met a zillion people, I right? I mean, here you are building uh, yeah. the largest project going on in the county. I was 23 years old. And, and so, no, I had a I had a fantastic time. But yes, I was up early, worked late, and especially some of the projects later on. And uh, one in particular in Charlotte when I was 24, that project, I, I literally, because of the problems that existed when I got there, I probably worked 20 hours a day to get it where it needed to be. And then. And you were a young guy and you could do that. Yeah, you're young. You've got adrenaline. You feel like you're accomplishing something, solving a problem. And uh, I loved it. But I had fun too. Don't get me wrong. So you save $8,000 and you start Bencourt. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about forming the company and, and what your big break was there and how that progressed. Yeah. So Bencore, C O R Corker, B E N, was a great guy named. Bud Bennett, and Bud had been an estimator at what was EMJ Corporation. Again, it was called Independent Construction at the time. And so we went out and started our business uh, with $16,000, if you will. And uh, Bud was a little bit older. He was probably a decade older. He had a beautiful wife. He had uh, kids who were playing Little League ball. I mean, we were just at a different phase of Mm -hmm. life. Here I was, 25. He was probably 35. And he had a home building business also. In addition, we were just commercial. So after about 90 days, uh, our first project was the Soddy Daisy Senior Citizen Center. Uh, It was $17,596. And I did much of it myself with my hands. Okay, the pouring of the footings and, you know, just getting it going. And, you know, well, after uh, 90 days, I was ready to go to Brownsville, Texas for $30,000, $32,000 college, which we did, by the way. And and we were just, in, I was in a place where I was glad to, uh, wanted to go anywhere we needed to go. Mm-hmm. Bud was in a little bit different place with a family. And so we amicably agreed that uh, after 90 days, uh, we were going to split up. And so from that point on, um, I started building a lot of small shops and malls. I had built the big regional malls, but I had seen where all these shops would come in towards the end. The mm-hmm. wet, you know, you had a roof on the building. You could quickly put them in place. The margins were great. 
And then eventually uh, a great gentleman named Ben Moore, who just passed away in the last couple of years, let me build a for real shopping center in Cleveland on Key Street. It was a red food shopping center. We went on to build, I don't know, 16 of them through the years. But we quickly began to build Walmarts, uh, Kmarts, uh, red food stores, Kroger's, and we built retail projects in 18 states around the country. The company grew at 80% a year, literally, for nine and a half years, 80% wow. a year. And then, so again, a little further down Cherokee Boulevard from where you are, I bought a little office building from a gentleman, wonderful human being, uh, Mr. Lawson at Lawson Electric. And um, that was our headquarters, if you will, and traveled around the country, building shopping centers, working with wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, it felt like any young person who came in the door during those days that seemed like a good human being, we hired them. I mean, yeah. it was just a, I can't tell you how much fun it was. And, yeah. and one night a week during the entire time I was in business, I stayed up the entire night just to keep up with the paperwork and everything that was going on. What is the uh, Crystal drive through window story? How did that play into your success? Well, so there was a project engineer on the first job that I told you about that I worked on down in Spartanburg, South Carolina. His name was Jim Prophet. And he had gone to work at uh, the Crystal Company by the time I went in business. So I started out doing a few small shops out on Brainerd Road, started traveling around doing these retail projects around the country. We follow the tenants. And he called one day and they were having difficulties with both the cost of these drive-in windows, but also the time frame it was taken to build. Uh, young people today listen to this podcast would say, what are you talking about? Well, back in those days, there were no drive-in windows, right? You just, you had- That was revolutionary. It was revolutionary. And you could sell, as I understand it, 35% more volume out of a restaurant with a drive-in window. So I had a white Ford 150 and I'd pull into architectural millwork, pick up the millwork. And I was up and down I-75, I-24, I-40. You know, we were building uh, drive-in windows and you had to do them at night. Makes sense. Right? Because, yeah. you know, yeah. you, you couldn't, couldn't really disrupt. So again, just a heady, heady period of time. And the company that was building most of them at the time was taking six weeks to do so. We were able to build them in two weeks. Oh. And so it was clipping, you know, we were, you know, the projects were $18,000 each, 18, 19, 20, $21,000. But, but we were able to do them in a, in a way that it generated quick cash. They paid me on time. One of the, one of the great things about uh, the way that you know, I went in business was I did a lot of small things on the front end yeah. and that allowed the cash to turn, right? Now think about if I had been on a very large project with mm -hmm. retainage being held and all of that, uh, I would have had tremendous difficulty. It was a, just a, a lot of energy, a lot of fun. The connection with the Crystal Windows goes all the way back to your second job in Spartanburg, South Carolina, where you met a project engineer who happened to go work for the Crystal Company and remembered you. So those relationships are critical. That's a, that's exactly, yeah. But one thing that I will say, since you brought that up, you know, I, people are always telling you that, so I'm 71 now, people are always telling you, oh, life is short, got to, you know, grab it with gusto or whatever it is they're trying to get across when they're yeah. telling you life is short. I have found, uh, yes, life is short. And, you know, this morning I was up early and 
walking and obviously as i do most every day they're at hot yoga at six or walking you know reflecting life is actually short yes but it's also long hopefully i mean hopefully you live a you know a mature life uh, to a mature age but but the point is it's yes the the relationships that i met at 18 19 20 21 are created at the time, um, you know, they still today are friends, the people I met all along the way, the people I've, think about it, I mean, the people I met running across the state in campaigns, the people I met being, I mean, so yes, the one thing I realized, I know a whole lot of people across the entire country, and to, to think about the fact that every step along the way, you are building a lifetime of relationships. Yeah, and it's so critical to yeah. The other thing you brought up is talking about how the good people you worked with. I'm curious how that and your trip to Haiti influenced your desire to go into public service. Well, when I was about 28, attended uh, First Centenary Methodist Church and was really involved there. So I'm sitting up at Cameron Hill, which was where Blue Cross is today, uh, apartment 2501, looking out over the city. It was a gray day. And and I just thought, you know, there's more to life. So I read in the church bulletin where they needed someone to lead a mission trip to Haiti, and they needed someone who knew something about construction. And so I volunteered, and I say 28, 29. I'm going to guess maybe I was 30, something like that. Go to Haiti, uh, short-term mission trip, unbelievably moving. I don't think I'd ever been touched quite in that way to see the deep appreciation and joy of people who had nothing. I mean, they were living on $150 a year uh, for what we were doing and just mm -hmm. the, the meaningfulness of being there helping people uh, like that. I couldn't be traveling around the country or world doing mission trips with a company that was growing at 80% a year, right? right? So I came back and I started meeting some people over at Reed and Mitchell Streets. They were actually people, I think they may have been from Lookout Mountain Presbyterian. Where the common house is today used to be an old dilapidated YMCA, and they had just a couple of building rooms downstairs where you can meet. So on Saturdays, we'd meet over there. I would help people in the neighborhood with, you know, mostly uh, African-American, uh, most of them very uh, not well off. I would just help them fix up their homes, uh, clean up their yards, uh, do whatever. I ended up building a little dentist clinic over there for free to help people provide that service there. And But I began to see that we had thousands of people here in our community that didn't have decent, fit, and affordable housing. And what really got me, I, all of it got me, but one day I met these two young boys who were going to City High School where I went. And I went, uh, they, something was happening. They were really near where we were. And I walked back to where their home was. And it was a single shotgun room. Their mother um, was a prostitute. And the bathroom was literally a four by four hole in the wooden floors mm. of the house. Like there was no bathroom and that's the way they were living. And then the next week they were gone. But I just thought, you know, here we have young 
kids going to the high school that I went to who were living in conditions like this, uh, I can do something about this. I know something about construction. So I flew down and met Millard Fuller in Habitat for America. I think it was in Americas. And I, I certainly was impressed by what he was doing. But uh, a gentleman named Rick Montague here in town, who I'd never met before in my life, someone told him of my interest in affordable housing. And so he introduced me to a gentleman named Jim Rouse up in Columbia, Maryland, who I'd known about all my life because he built shopping centers. The Rouse Company, they did the aquarium in Baltimore. They did Harbor Place. I mean, they did a lot of uh, neat things. And so anyway, he introduced me to the second thing I tell graduating students from college. Uh, I was thinking about helping in a small way with people having affordable housing in our community. He calls my vision to be way beyond what it otherwise would have been. And I learned the sort of second big life thing, and that is when you seek to undertake something, do it with a bold, bold vision. If you do it with an incremental vision, you may accomplish it and you may you mm-hmm. know, not have taken much risk and you accomplish it. But with a bold vision, even if you only get 80% of the way there, you've accomplished so much more than if you just had a modest vision about what you undertake in life. And it affected me from that point. I was probably, I'm going to guess I was 32-ish or so when I met him, 32, 33. So anyway, with others, uh, was the founding chairman of uh, something called Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise. And Chattanooga Enterprise, uh, Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise was founded. We took two years to to develop all the data, working with the Rouse Com- with Enterprise Foundation, which Rouse had founded. And then in the fall of 86, we announced we were creating this. The mayor at the time, Mayor Roberts, uh, uh, endorsed it. And CNE was a powerhouse. I mean, we had community leaders that were just incredibly respected. Uh, the city, county foundations, the Lenders Foundation was a big supporter. And we helped thousands of people here in our community with uh, decent fit and affordable housing. And I loved it. I spent about a thousand hours a year on that organization, helping create it and being chairman. And I've bump into so many people still today that CNE helped at that time. But I'm going to carry this on for a second. So a, a governor running for office, I was not involved in politics. I mean, I might have attended a fundraiser. I don't even think people knew what party I was. You know, I just really wasn't involved. And, and so a governor running for office named Ned McWhorter visited town and a guy named Roger Dixon, who's at Miller and Martin Farm, was helping him, and he knew what we were doing at CNE, and so he, he asked Governor McWhorter, who was running at the time, wasn't governor, to come by and see what we were doing at CNE. And uh, I was actually, I had supported his opponent, Winfield Dunn, at the time. When I say supported, I mean I wasn't really involved, but I supported him, the, his opponent. Anyway, after he was elected, he called me and asked me to serve on a task force in Nashville to try to get the rest of the state to work on affordable housing like we were doing here. And then he asked me to serve on the Tennessee Housing Development Authority Board in Nashville. And Mike, that's when I realized the difference that you could make in the public arena. So that whole process of going on a mission trip, 
working in the inner city, uh, which, by the way, also got me involved in Vision 2000 through the venture process from 1984 to 86. All of a sudden, uh, at a young age, I was working with people, you know, a generation ahead of me because I'd started so young in business, getting to know people I'd only heard of and certainly never had met. So I became very involved in the community, created a nonprofit with others that helped a lot of people and, you know, ended up uh, uh, being introduced, if you will, to the public sector. When you brought up Do Something Bold, the first time I ever heard you say that, I was in the Leadership Chattanooga class, I want to say it was 2003, maybe, and it was the 21st Century Waterfront Plan, and we were in River City Company, and we're looking at this whole model that was laid out, and I forget who asked the question, and you pretty much, like, don't you think this is a lot for us to do, you know, $120 million dollars? (laughs) <laughs> and, you, and you basically said, go bold or go home. That's my summation of it. But it was really the same thing. So CNE and all that showed you that you could have a positive effect in and politics. Um, and then the other thing that really brought you to my attention was your first run for Senate against Senator Frist. I was yeah. living in Memphis at that time, grew up in Memphis, and I followed politics. Um, fortunate, I think, that that didn't work out at that time because that was Chattanooga's benefit. Talk about that decision to run for mayor in your time as mayor, what you enjoyed about it. And, yeah. and then I wanted to get into some yeah. challenges that we're facing ahead. Yeah, sure. So let me first say about that Senate race. So Bill and I, there were six of us in a primary in 1994. No one thought either one of us was going to serve in public office during that cycle because Jim Sasser was the opponent yeah, on the I Democratic side. And so people would pat us on the head and say, y'all are nice young men. <laughs> and someday you may serve in public office, but it's not going to be this time. So we, we got very little support. But it ended up being a tough, tough race. Bill and I had a really tough, tough race against each other. And he ended up, he ran a better race, was a better candidate, and deserved to win. And so I'm sitting on my porch at about 4 a.m., the night after we've lost and, you know, had put a good deal of personal money into the race. And, and, you know, we'd spent, been in all 95 counties and nonstop, no sleep. And uh, I was probably having an adult beverage at that time. And uh, I told Lizzie I was going to go to bed and I was going to drive over to Nashville and uh, see if I could help him. And so I got a few hours sleep and I drove over and drove over to Nashville and he was having his entire campaign team and supporters and everything meeting in this room in Nashville. And I showed up and, you know, I tell people always that if you run for office and you run the right way, you never lose. Yeah. So Bill ended up being elected. We became great friends. Uh, because I ran in that race and because it ended, like I said, in a positive way, I was then asked to be commissioner of finance for the state by a new governor. But then I love, love, love that job. I moved to Nashville. You're talking about staying up all night. We had financial troubles. I do my paperwork so much, so much of the time at 3 a.m. in the morning. My family came over six months later. And I just love, love, love serving that way. And while I was in Nashville, I, I told the governor I'd serve for two general assemblies. I told him the day I was going to leave, the day that I started. And so I left. And from Nashville, I learned about big things in business. And we stayed for a little while while I was figuring out next what I would do. 
ended up buying two companies here in Chattanooga, the Stonefort Land Company and Osborne Enterprises. Stonefort had been founded in 1886. Tommy Lupton owned it. Um, Osborne had been formed in 1935 and was able to buy both of them and close within 63 days in 1999. It took a while to put it together. When I came back here, uh, that's when people began talking to me about running for mayor, something I had never mm-hmm. thought about in my life. I've heard you say that uh, being mayor of a city like Chattanooga is absolutely one of the best political jobs you can have. So I served 12 years in the United States Senate. I was chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. Traveled the world on your behalf. It's the greatest privilege of my life. As I mentioned, I, I love being commissioner of finance for our state. You know, we did the Titans deal, welfare reform. Uh, it was just an incredible, heady, heady, heady period of time. But being mayor, no question, uh, was the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in public a life, public service. I had no idea, by the way, it was like that. I had seen the kind of job that Mayor Bredesen had done. We're, we're really good friends to this mm-hmm. day. I was commissioner of finance while he was mayor of Nashville, and I saw the impact that he had there. So I had a sense of what could happen, but again, it was not in my vision. I actually thought if I ever ran for public office again, I'd run for governor, having been commissioner of finance. But I came back home, bought the companies, put them together with uh, the Corker Group, which had been around since 1982, And um, that four years, like I said, was the best four years of public service ever. As a a mayor, you're you're a civic leader, obviously. You are a business leader because it's all about economic development, especially in those days. I mean, in those days, the major challenge was just was economic development. Well, Chattanooga wasn't where it was. No, no, totally different different place. But you're also a spiritual leader. Yeah. And you touch people where they are. And uh, it, again, it's the most rewarding position. I, I loved it. I mean, we were at it seven days a week. I'd drive around the community with my Blackberry. And, you know, there'd be mattresses laying out in some part of the community. And from that to uh, building Enterprise South to lowering crime 52% to uh, putting high-performing teachers in low-performing schools. Incredible. What a moving thing that was to, you know, building out where Enterprise South is to eventually recruiting auto company. You know, we began with Toyota. Then I went to the Senate uh, right after that, and that's when um, I was able to contact Volkswagen. And and anyway, it's uh, and the Digital Vision, the Outdoor Initiative, uh, which, you know, all those things – the way they all happened was phenomenal, but no doubt. I mean, I don't mean phenomenal on my part. It was just the sequence of things that caused those to become part of the vision. But, of course, the 21st century waterfront probably being the, the most physically notable. And they're all tied together. You they're all tied, have, absolutely tied you together. You don't have one without the other. From a um, community leadership standpoint, not so much for those currently in office, but what do you see – as the biggest challenges moving forward for Chattanooga and Hamilton County? Um, So I try not to say that kind of thing much. I try to be the biggest cheerleader that I can for our community's leadership. Frankly, we could leave it at that. Yeah, I I think that, um, I mean, I'll say the most evident things. uh, I mean, obviously, and this is on everybody's 
uh, lips, if you will, I'm sure. But I mean, obviously, work now it used to be economic development. That's now workforce. it's workforce development. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, also affordable housing in a totally different sense. I mean, obviously, we need affordable housing for the lowest income people. Yeah. We also need affordable housing for people who are coming here with jobs, you know, these young people. So it's a totally different type of yeah. housing need than we had 20 years ago, just because we have had uh, tremendous amounts of economic change here yeah. and growth. We have to keep our downtown as the civic business and cultural center of our city. And and it's what really makes Chattanooga special in the way that it is. And public safety uh, is a big, 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 big component of that. And um, I'm so excited about this new Chattanooga Bank building being developed and there's some opportunities around where the TVA site is today that could be transformative for our community. But we have to continue to strengthen the downtown area. It's what has made this region so special. And uh, I think that, uh, honestly, more focus uh, in that area would be very helpful for everyone in our community, whether you're in Ottawa or uh, Lookout Valley. It's just the, the centerpiece that matters such a great deal. Well, I've heard downtown described as our front porch. We've got to keep our front porch inviting. I mean, I do think that the digital vision, you know, the, the gig city piece has made us distinctive. The outdoor initiative, people understand you can live here. I was down at uh, Quality Tire one Saturday while I was mayor. I just ridden my bike a uh, hundred miles because I had turned 50 and I just wanted to prove that I was still alive, if you will. And in riding it, I uh, saw that people were hang gliding. Uh, I saw people... You ride 100 miles by yourself. You see a it's lot a of lot. things. I saw people hang gliding. I saw people caving. I saw people uh, rock climbing. I saw people going kayaking. I saw people that were just getting ready to go trout fishing. I, you know, it's just amazing. And, of course, people biking, running, you name it, every, everything else. And, and it had a huge effect on me. And then the next Saturday, I was down at uh, Quality Tire, and uh, there was a guy from Colorado who uh, was in there. I could tell he had a different accent. And where are you from, Colorado? Why are you here? Well, this is, uh, this is the best outdoor community that we know of. We're in technology. We could live anywhere. And boom, a light went off. Next Monday morning, I'm on Jeff Styles, which yeah. used to be the program people listen to in the mornings. And what are you going to do next? Well, we're going to become the boulder of the east. Well, now... Boulder is the Chattanooga of the West. I mean, you know, we, <laughs> like that. we've surpassed them. But all of those things fit into why people want to live in this community, right? And just the feel of it and the distinctive nature of our community. And a big part of that is our downtown area. And I think that we have so many things that we can weave together. Um, look, the mayor of our city, in my opinion, needs to be the conductor of a symphony, and the symphony is people like you and others throughout our community who here every day are striving to help make our community a better place. And to the extent we can do that, uh, we bring a, a unification of effort that is multiplying because so many talented people are helping us get to a better place. And uh, our community... Uh, Still has a lot of lot of ways to go, a lot of things to improve upon. Jobs but it's done. a wonderful place, and uh, we need to make it better every day.
Those are wise words. And I do want to ask you one last question, but I do want to remind our listeners who makes all of this possible. So I want to say thank you to Tennessee Valley Authority for sponsoring My Morning Cup. Follow TVA on social media to learn more about its multifaceted mission of service and visit tva.com forward slash do good here to explore exciting TVA career opportunities. Now, Bob, I do have one last question, and it's one I want you to think about a second. What would you tell your 25-year-old self is important for having a happy life? Oh, I mean, I'm still (laughs) happen to be reading a book about that very topic today. You know, people are rubbing their hands together about Washington and where our country's going and what are we going to do? And I still talk to a lot of audiences around around the country. Just uh, I'm not a paid speaker kind of person, but I just end up being in front of a lot of people. And thankfully, which is a blessing. But I, I just tell people, look, you know, this is going to burn itself out. That's a little off topic from what you're at. This is all going to burn itself out at some point. I mean, people eventually are going to want solutions. They're going to tire of just fighting. They want solutions to big problems that we have here in the commu- in the country. But in the interim, love your family. Help your neighbors. Help your community be a better place to live. And that's what you can control, right? Put your faith in a, in a higher being, you know, our creator. And uh, to me, uh, not only is that the secret to having a life that you think is meaningful, I think that's a secret to being happy. That is such great advice. I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.